We played the same video this week because some of you said you didn't get all the words in when you were trying to read it. So we helped you out this week with that. But we're continuing the series, uh, Kingdom Culture. And, uh, of course, we're attempting to answer in this series not only why do we exist as a church, but how do we exist as a church. Look at the series introduction there. We're part five of this particular part of the sermon series. And uh, you'll see the series introduction because we're a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories. We believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world by creating a culture where Jesus is our lead story and scripture and prayer are prime part five. All right. Now, if you will, skip down a little bit. I'm not going to read everything that we've read the last four weeks, but skip down to where it says when we pray. When we pray, we are agreeing with the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for his presence, and we are asking for his transforming power to consume and move in us personally and corporately. Ultimately, we believe the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with his will, his ways, and his word. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to fill empty time or transitions with empty words or phrases and call it prayer, but to invite the Holy Spirit to meet the deepest needs of those gathered for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. If you will, I hope you have a copy of God's Word, whether it's on your phone or in your hands as a book. But turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Let me uh, quickly uh, say some things that we've said previously to kind of make sense of where we're headed today. We believe, as a church family, your pastors believe this. uh, Most of the leadership that I've talked to believe this. We believe Scripture, God's Word, is the inspired words of God. Words in which God reveals himself to us, words that, transform, that can transform our lives, and words that have authority in our lives. Now, look at the outline there. I want to quickly run through it. Scripture and prayer provides insight for transformation. If you were to say, okay, what is God's goal for my life? I'm sitting here today. I've come to hear God's word. What does he want to do with his word? Now, simply put, he wants to transform your life. There's no one in this room who has it completely all together exactly what God desires for them. We're just not there. I mean, we're a work in progress. You look at your children and you say, boy, they're definitely a work in progress. You look at your grandchildren, maybe you think they're perfect. I don't know, but I can see where mine can improve. But you look at your own lives. And you see that there's got to be more, that God wants to do something more in your life. He wants to transform you. How does he do that? Well, he wants to reveal himself to you. That's what we call revelation. It's God revealing himself to you. There's two types of revelation. There's general revelation. He does it through nature and conscience. There's specific revelation through prayer and God's word. And then there's interpretation, determining the intended meaning of God's word. Y'all, that's something that is very much needed in the day in which we live. It was needed in the first century. It's needed today. Do you realize almost every epistle that Paul wrote and the ones that Peter wrote, 
They were addressing the false doctrine and the false teaching of the day. They were saying, there's a lot out there that are saying this, but the gospel says this. Guess what? The same thing is happening today. And many of those false teachers are trying to use the very words of God to slant it in a way, to take it out of context in such a way that it can become destructive to those who seek to know truth. And so when you look at this, you got to say, okay, what is the interpretation? What is God really trying to say here? And then this is where it gets really good. There's something called illumination. It's the Holy Spirit's work of bringing light to your heart. And of course, there's two ways. There's Logos, which is the written word of God. And and of course, we're looking at it from prayerfully reading God's word. Now, let me say this. There's a difference between reading God's word and prayerfully reading God's word. I can read God's word no different than the newspaper. Did you know we're all capable of that? But when I prayerfully read God's word, I don't know about you, but it's, it's me inviting him to take that word and to transform me, to reveal things in my life, to, to show me things that I need to be aware of, things that need to change. Now, I've never asked God to use the Shelby star to accomplish that purpose, but I have asked him to do it through his word, because that's where it changes. And then there's something called the rhema word, the spoken word of God. It's prayerfully listening to God in prayer. I told you in weeks past, I've never heard God speak audibly. I haven't, but I've, I've certainly heard him speak to my heart, and I know he has. And, and what's interesting about all that is that whole idea that God, listen, this is, this is what blows my mind. He wants to speak to your hearts. He wants that. He wants to have that kind of intimacy with us. But then there's something called application. And y'all, if, if, you, if you don't read anything associated with what's said here, you need to read James 1. Because here's what we need to understand. Application is deter- determining the relevance of God's word and then actively responding to it. Now listen, this is the fourth week you've heard this. I hope you're getting it. Because this, listen, this is the key to living the life God desires you to live. It's a combination between his word being implanted, listen, in your own heart. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. And the only way it can happen is for you to know truth, receive that truth, ask the Holy Spirit to direct you in that truth that you may become more and more like him. So look on your outline. Scripture and prayer provides insight for application. We have it uh, to convict. The scriptures convict and then to convert, to cleanse, to change, to comfort, to challenge. All these we looked at last week. Now, here's what you need to do. If you ever want to do a study on what the Holy Spirit's role is in your life, study John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Read John chapter 16. And what you'll find is exactly what Jesus said. I've got to go that the comforter, the Holy Spirit may come. And here's what he's going to do for you. And the Bible outlines it. Jesus says exactly what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Now, why is prayer prime? Why are we saying that prayer is the utmost of importance? Here's one reason. Because Jesus says it was. In Matthew chapter 6, you've got, I believe, the greatest sermon ever preached. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus is now directing those who are listening to him. Some people guesstimate that it was thousands of people standing there by the the shores of the Sea of Galilee that day. And he's addressing them. And there's one part in which he says, right in the middle of that message, he says this. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 5. He says, and when you pray, what's the implication there? That you are to pray. (laughs) When you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and that they may be seen by men. You know what that says? That their prayer life is not intended for God. It's intended to lift themselves up, to lift them up in the eyes of man. And and he's, he's coming down against that. He says, surely I say to you, they have their reward. Here's what he's saying. He's saying they're going about it to get man's praise. And let me just tell you, that's all they're going to get in that. And that's what he's saying. That's all they're going to get. That's the only benefit to what they're doing. But you, he's talking about those who desire intimacy with God. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in a Secret place. Do you know that verse 6, that part, really the whole verse, is all about intimacy. It's all about intimacy. When you go into a room with another human being, another person, and, and even if it's your spouse or whatever, you're going, the door is shut. There's intimacy. There's something going on there. And so he is saying, hey, get out of the street. Leave the church if you have to. Listen, for me to truly meet with you, get into a place in which there can be intimacy in what's going on with you and I. And Jesus is inviting us there. He's telling us, this is it. This is what it's all about. And he says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Here's what that means. It means you're going to receive benefits to this. There's great benefit to being intimate with the father. There's things that you'll see. You'll see God work in your life. How many of you have ever seen God work in your life? Listen, it comes by way of prayer. It comes by way sometimes of fasting. It comes by way of the truth of God's word. But he says, listen, I want you to be intimate. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as a heathen does. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you um, have, have noticed that some season in your life about your prayer life that sometimes you're saying the same thing over and over again? You ever been there? I had my patented prayer. I, I, I had the one that I did at meals. And I had the ones that I did when I had my devotion. There was a season in my life where that's exactly what it was. And so when I came before God, I'd read what I'm supposed to read. Sometimes it's been the daily bread. Sometimes Oswald Chambers. Sometimes different things. And I read God's word. And and guess what I found? I found out that that, that the words I was saying at times became vain repetitions. Now, how do I know that? Well, measure it. You men, think about your wife. What if every time you got around her, It was the exact same thing coming out of your mouth every time. It may be sweet. It may be great. But after about the hundredth time, she'd be saying, hey, is there anything else? I mean, is there something else here? 
And, and so when it comes to your relationship with God, what he's saying here, he's saying, Jesus is saying, when you talk to the Father, look for the intimacy of the moment. Look for what God can do in that. Don't just use words that are out there. Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, the hypocrites, for you know, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Now think about that. Before we even ask, he knows what we need. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, well, then why pray? And that right there is the problem. That right there is the problem. You see, most of our prayer life consists of the list. God, do this. God, do that. Please do that. Oh, God, you know how much this means to, you, to me. And please do that. And it's really no different than when we were children and we, we knew Santa Claus might come and we gave him the list. And sometimes that's all it is. That, that's the problem. And when, G, when Jesus was saying that he already knows what your need is, he wasn't saying is, this is really a waste of time. No, he's saying he's trying to get you back to the intimacy of the whole idea of prayer. He already knows what you want and what you need. So therefore, prayer the way I see it, the way it seems that Jesus is saying it here, is twofold. Number one, for intimacy. God desires intimacy with us. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, well that's cool. No, that's awesome. That, that's beyond comprehension. That the God of this world seeks intimacy with me, with you. He seeks that. Second of all, prayer is this, y'all. And we're going to see this in just a moment. It aligns me with God. It aligns me with his will. It aligns me with his ways. It aligns me with, with his truth. God is not only seeking intimacy with us. He wants to align us in the best place possible for us to see what God is, what he's trying to do in our lives. You think about this guy who, who lost his whole family and then he's able to turn out something like he turned out in that song. Listen, it's all about the alignment. It's all about seeing things the way God sees them. It's all about the intimacy with the Father. He goes and he says this. Verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray. Many of you recognize this part. Our Father in heaven, how be your name. You see, when we start praying like that, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying pray these exact words. <laughs> he's saying, let me, let me give you an example of what this relationship looks like. And, 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 and the first part of it is just acknowledging who you're talking to. And that leads us to where we are today. So look on your outline. Prayer provides insight for perspective. Now think about this. Prayer provides true and proper perspectives. And the first thing we see there is adoration. We covered some of this last week. Almost all the Psalms have examples of adoration. Some are dedicated, some Psalms are dedicated just for adoration. Some have pieces of adoration in it. But what are the benefits of adoration? Look on your outline. Adoration sets the tone for my prayer. It sets the tone. It brings everything into perspective. Adoration gets the focus off of me and on God. It's slowing down to realize who I'm, who I'm addressing. I'm talking to God. Therefore, I must focus my attention on him. Thirdly, adoration reminds me of God's identity and desires. And really, a lot of it, for a lot of people that I've talked to, that are what I would consider prayer warriors, are people who just 
in their prayer, in, in the adoration, they just start saying who God is. God, you're just, you're holy. It's just a reminder of who he is, who we're addressing. And then lastly, adoration allows me to see myself as I truly am. Think about that. When you see God for who he truly is, do you think it might cause you to see yourself differently than what many of us see ourselves as? Oh, yeah, every time. Every time. So next, we go from adoration to confession. Now, let me say this about confession. It's probably the most neglected area of prayer today. We don't like to go there, do we? You mean I got I to say I'm wrong? I got to address this? Yes. How do we know that? James 5, 16, here it is. Confess your trespasses to one another. That's the whole idea. In some ways, it's a whole idea of accountability. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The word healed there means to restore or bring safely through. It's the whole idea of healing uh, that may be instantly or progressively. How many of you have seen healing take place instantly? Yeah, many of us have seen that. How many of you have seen it as, um, uh, take a little time? It's progressive healing. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of healing comes that way. It can be a physical healing, an emotional healing, a spiritual healing. But here's what's interesting. When you study the verbiage there, as I said last week, it's in the middle voice. It's not written in the passive voice. Passive voice would imply that you're here and something's being done unto you. And it's only been what's being done unto you. But here it's in the middle verse, voice, which means there's a shared responsibility sometimes in the healing. How many of you have ever heard people say over and over again, oh, God, please do this. Oh, God, please do this. Oh, God, please do this. And you're sitting there saying, hey, I've put everything you need right there in front of you. It's time for you to do something <laughs> in this matter. And sometimes he just requires us to, to be a part of that. And he wants to bring it to us. And so we see that that whole idea of healing, really, if you think about it, the greatest need I have, listen, the same thing is true for you. The greatest healing I need at times is I need to be right before God. And it comes by way of confession. It goes on and says, James 5, 16, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman or child avails or accomplishes much. Now turn over to Psalms 51 very quickly. I've, I've used Psalms 51, but it's a perfect example. Now, as you turn, I want you to listen to this. This is on your outline. Uh, you don't have to write anything in. Just listen to this as you turn there. Confession should be spontaneous. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit will reveal what you need to confess. How many of you know that from experience? Yeah. I mean, we know that, right? He, he's going to put his finger on something. I mean, he always says, if you truly mean business with God, you've come to him. You've seen him who, for who he truly is. Therefore, you see yourselves as you truly are. Guess what? There's always room to see where confession needs to be seen. And many times it comes by way of the Holy Spirit directing that. Now, the moment he brings to your mind a sin that needs to be dealt with, you have two options. To confess your wrong, listen, softens your heart. To not confess a wrong hardens your heart. Now let's go back to what God desires for you. God desires, listen, for the seeds of truth to be implanted in you. The seeds of truth create fruit in our lives. Listen, the enemy hates every bit of that kind of talk. 
Matter of fact, the enemy right now is against you right now as that's attempting to take place. What he wants you to do is hear the truth, and he's okay with you hearing it. He doesn't mind you being here because he knows that many people who come under the teaching of God's word, they hear what God's word says, what the truth is. He knows that many of them will just leave, and it will never take root in their life. Let me tell you something about confession. It's just like listening to truth. You have one of two responses. You'll either, it'll either soften your heart. What happens when you have good, soft soul? What happens with the seed? It goes in very easily. God can use it. He can put it right there where it needs to be brought. But if I'm hardening my heart to the truth, what's going on right here, or when the Holy Spirit reveals something in my life that needs to be confessed, guess what? My heart gets, hard, my heart gets hardened. And then all of a sudden, I've been coming to church for 20 years and used to be that I would sense God doing something, but I shut that down a long time ago. Now it's just me going through the motions. I'm just kind of showing up and feeling good that I made it to church that day because I can't imagine a week without going to church. But there's so much more that he wants. And that process, I'm, I'm convinced, really begins in your prayer closet where God wants to loosen up the soil of your heart to plant his truth in your life. Next, confession should be specific. How many of you at a time in your life, a season in your life, now I want some honest confession here, okay? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm not, I'm not going to trick you, okay? But how many of you have ever prayed something like this? And dear Lord, forgive me of all my sins. Bam, been there. I remember as a child being there. And uh, praying for grandma and grandpa and getting over here and praying for this. And, and dear Lord, forgive all my sins. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If I went to Tina and I said, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just want you to forgive me. Now, I got one of them wives that will call you on that. What do you want me to forgive you for? You know, how many of you women are that way? I want to know. I want to know what I'm forgiven here, okay? It's, it's more than, I, because they know that through that whole idea, through that whole, prof, that, through that whole process, that intimacy can be born in that. And by the way, most women are looking for that intimacy, whether it's working through something or talking something out or whatever it may be. She wants to know. She wants to be a part of that process. And that's the whole idea about being specific. Thirdly, it is to be sincere. Your confession is to be sincere. I've heard many people. How many of you ever heard someone ask for forgiveness and you can sense there was no sincerity in it? Well, if I, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? What was the problem with all that? started with the first word. If. If. Now think of this. Here's David. We probably know what sin has just occurred. And some of you may be sitting here reading this and you're saying, well, I've never sinned that bad before. Y'all, we've all sinned. And it all looks the same to God. But here's what's happened. The adultery with Bathsheba, and she has her husband killed. And here's David. Here's David, Psalms 51. Here's an example of confessional prayer. Here it is, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. Let me tell you what that statement means. He realized that his sin was inexcusable. He realized his sin couldn't be rationalized. He realized that his sin before God 
needed mercy applied to it. He goes on, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The word transgression there literally means rebellion. It means a deliberate breach. And that's what transgression means. So David is calling his own heart out. He's saying, God, I've just flat rebelled against you. He goes on. He says, number two, verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Iniquity means wickedness. It means evil. And then he says, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, when he says sin, of course, we know what sin is. We, we, we study this all our lives. It means missing the mark. It means doing what is forbidden. It also implies that he knew what it was like to be clean at one time in his life. How many of you like to be clean? I like clean. I mean, I like clean. I like clean everywhere. I, you know my story. Summer sometimes... It may take three to five, three to four, I won't say five, three to four baths just to kind of get me through those days, you know. I'm joking. Not quite Tina saying he's lying. No, anyway, but I like to be physically clean. I really do. And sometimes I wonder, do I pay enough attention to my own soul, to my own spirit? Is it as clean as physically I want to be clean? Because I don't know about you, but I don't like going to bed feeling sticky, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'll go take a shower. I'm, I'm really embarrassing myself here, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this as an example. I'm going to turn it around. I go, I'll go take a shower, and if it's a couple hours where I wind up going to sleep, I'll go back into the shower. I won't turn the water on. I'm not that bad, okay? But I'll take that wet rag, and I'll start getting in all the creases, you know, and all that stuff where it may be sticky when you get in the bed. I hate that feeling. Some of you are like, that boy's sick. Yeah, I, I, I've had a lot of counseling. I haven't had it for that yet. Maybe that's next. But anyway, but the fact is I'm so attuned to what it means to be physically or, or in my body to be unclean. But what about our own soul and spirit? What if we paid that much attention to our soul and spirit? Boy, it sure would go a long ways. So he's talking here in the language that David knew what it was like to be clean before God because he's missing it. He goes into verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. What is that? That's his conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. He goes on against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, God, I've gotten to the point, I can't rationalize what I did. I see it exactly the way you see it. It is sin. It deserves judgment. I see it the way it needs to be seen. The problem with many of us, and the reason confession doesn't, the reason it doesn't work for us, is because we just don't come to the agreement with God that it's wrong. We're too busy defending it. We're too busy rationalizing it. But God, if, if they would never have hurt me this way, then, then I would, it would be easy to forgive them. Hmm. Been there, haven't we? Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. David there is acknowledging his sin nature. He's acknowledging that. Behold, verse 6, You desire truth in the inward parts, and, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. He's saying, God, I know you want to do a deeper work in me, and I know that that truth that you have out there, you want it to penetrate where I am. And God, I'm ready for that work to happen. 
How many of you are so sick of being dirty before God that you're willing to call it exactly what it is and to plead with him to make you clean once again? The problem is we just kind of hang on, don't we? And you're saying, God, I know you want to do a deeper work in me. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. The word hyssop there, that whole idea is, and that's what they used on lepers. Did you know that? How many of you have heard of leprosy? Back in that day, this was a big deal. And the way they would try to treat the leprosy is they would take hyssop, and they believed that was the best way to cleanse the impurities and the sores and all the different things that were going on with leprosy. He's acknowledging that. He said, oh, my goodness, Lord, the worst thing that could happen to me physically has happened to my soul. And he says, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He's saying, I can be healed. I can be cleansed. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. He's saying he's, he's living in physical agony. It's not that God breached down and broke all his bones. What he's saying there, he's saying, I'm suffering. I am literally suffering to the point that it's playing out physically for me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. He's saying, restore me, God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. It's the same idea of being born again. It's the same idea of being recreated. He's saying, God, recreate me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That, the word renew means bring back. It's the whole idea of revival. It, then he says steadfast. He's saying stand against the transgressing and the iniquity and the sin. Lord, help me to stand against it. I don't ever want to be back in this place again. Then we come to Psalm 32. Flip over a couple of pages. And here in Psalm 32, obviously... He's received forgiveness. Listen to how he states it. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. What does that imply? He's received the forgiveness. Feels good. I'm feeling good again. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. That means I, I haven't rationalized my sin. I've come to agree with God that it is sin, and there's no deceit. There's nothing there between me and God. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. He, he was talking about when I didn't confess it, when I didn't see it the way I needed to see it, through my groaning all the day long. For, the, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality, my, the very life in which I had, was turned into the drought of summer. But yet I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's a much better psalm, isn't it? That's what happens when forgiveness is there. But it only happens when we come to him the way we need to come to him in our confession. So here's what I want to say. i got to hurry. Prayer uh, aligns us with God. So when I have adoration, I'm acknowledging him for who he truly is. Therefore, I see myself as I truly am. All the impurities, all the things that create the barrier between me and him, guess what? I'm, I'm literally confessing those things, getting those things right. And what's happening is I'm beginning to align myself with his ways, his will, and his truth. Okay? That's the goal. That's what adoration and confession does. So how do we align ourselves practically? Look at the verse here. He says, I beseech you, brethren, many of you know this verse, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, holy, acceptable 
sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, he's going back to Old Testament language here, okay? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means radical change. It means change of fashion and condition. How are you going to do that? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that means to discern, distinguish, test to see if worthy. And it goes back to the idea of the living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable to God. He says, what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God? And so that, therefore, what happens? How do I move from being conformed to the world to being transformed? It happens by renewing my mind, but it's also that thought process of going back to that Old Testament language that I'm literally placing myself before God, listen, as a living sacrifice, as a sacrifice in which something, listen, a sacrifice always dies, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But he says a living sacrifice. How's that possible? It's that whole idea that the sacrifice must die before it can truly live. And that's the purpose we see here. Now, let me continue. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Write this down, Psalm 100. I don't have time to read it to you, but that's a perfect example of thanksgiving. Now, let me say this. Thanksgiving and gratitude is a deterrent to discontentment. The problem with many Americans today, and it's because we're so materialistic, okay? Uh, we put everything out in front of people where we're becoming discontent. How many of you at times this past week dealt with discontentment in your life? I guarantee you if you did a careful analysis of where you were this week and what was going on in your heart and mind, you were discontent at some point. All advertisement is directed to, to us to make us discontent. Everything is directed that way. And so therefore, what God wants us to do, he wants us to get to the point where as we pray to him, we're adoration, confession, but not only that, thanksgiving. That means we become content with what he's done in our lives when it comes to the materialistic and all the things that we could be reaching out for. See, when I'm not grateful and when I'm not th uh, thankful, I become very discontent. And many times, listen, in my discontentment, sometimes, many times it takes my eyes off God. And that's a problem. That can become a major problem. And that's when many times you start thinking God's unfair. God, you bless these people with all these material things. Why, why, why not me? Why, God, what's, what's going on here? God, you, you, you let that child live and not my child. God, you, you're not, you don't seem to be fair. But what does he say? He says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Next, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. That's the alignment and then supplication. It's the whole idea of asking. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. That's a command, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Write down Psalm 54. I don't have time to read it, but there it is, Psalm 54. I want you to look at that. That's a, that's a, a great idea uh, for, for uh, supplication. Now, let me say this. Pray in God's way. Listen, invest in your relationship with God. My question to you this morning is this. How are you investing in your relationship with God? Some of you would say, I'm here, aren't I? This is a small part. You realize that, Right? I think it's important that we come together, that you hear truth. You sit under the teaching of God's word. I think that's very important. 
but can become a very small part in the actual work God wants to do in your life. The greatest work he'll do in your life is when you get alone with the truth of God, you ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal what needs to happen in your life, and you come before him and prayerfully listen to him. That's the most important thing that can happen in your life. And from that comes this idea of supplication. So investing in your relationship with God, it builds your faith. It shows areas of deceit in your life. It allows you to see yourself more accurately. In conclusion, look on, we're we're there, y'all, the conclusion. We are living in a culture. This is something God gave me really clear when I was creating this sermon. We are living in a culture where Scripture is not viewed as inspired, authoritative, or even legitimate. Do you know churches don't believe that? We desire to create a culture of Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ who believe Scripture and prayer are their only means to live now and eternally the intended purposes of their Creator. We also desire that people not fall for cheap imitation of programmed and meaningless prayers that do not bring transformation nor cause them to encounter and experience a Savior who loves and cares for them deeply. You think it might have been important for me to spend five weeks on this? I think so. Y'all, all it is is Christianity 101. But here's what's interesting. It just doesn't start there. We'll end there too. We always got to go back to the whole process of what I've shared the last five weeks. We always have to go back to that. So let's pray. Father, we just come to you now and we just thank you for what you're going to do and what you have done. I ask the ushers to come forward if they would. And Father, we just ask you right now that, that you would just be with us, Lord, as we contemplate these words that you've given us over these last five weeks. Lord, we know we're in desperate need of you and a work from you in our lives. And Father, I just pray you have your way in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that before they leave here, they'll talk to myself uh, uh, before they leave because, Lord, they, they, they have the greatest need in this room. And Father, I just pray for those that are here. Lord, I know there's been times when my prayer life is nothing what I know you desire it to be. And I, I've been in those seasons and I've been there, Father. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'll begin convicting me. But Lord, that, that conviction would take hold of all our lives, Father, as you draw us to that intimacy and true prayer. Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as only you can do to create uh, the ministry opportunities that we can have as we give, Lord, to, to, to make you known to the world. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.